The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm super excited about the show today. I decided to mix things up a little bit. Before we get into the show, I did want to do a shout out to Paradigm Sample, who is the sponsor of this podcast episode today. Paradigm Sample is a leader in online global data collection. It differentiates itself by providing unparalleled service to its clients and its relentless spirit to deliver high quality data. If you want to learn more about Paradigm Sample, please visit the website at www.paradigmsample.com. Okay, back to the show. We have two guests today that, in my mind, represent the next generation of leadership in our industry. First is Katie Sands, who's Executive Director of Client Development at Paradigm Sample. And the second is Brad France, who's the Senior Consultant of Sampling from Burke Research. Welcome, Katie and Brad. Thank you, Seema. Happy to be here. We have had many different conversations about our industry to just five minutes ago about flipping homes, but let's talk about, let's talk about our industry. Let's get into it. You guys, you know, to me represent the, the next leadership, if you will, in our industry, right? You guys are both highly successful. You're doing lots of cool things and would love to just talk a little bit about perspectives on data collection from, from where you sit and what you're seeing. You know, Brad, from your perspective, you're managing a lot of data collection projects across the entire company of Burke. What are you, what are you seeing in terms of any specific shifts over the last couple of years? I think the biggest shift we've seen, and not only the last couple of years, in the last six to eight months, the amount of client-facing presentations we give where data quality has been a factor, specifically for some of the long-standing trackers our clients have ran, uh, as well as some of the new initiatives they want to get off the ground. I think there's a, a pendulum swing back to this idea of quality and how data collection and sampling is really the foundation of those insights. Yeah, and Katie, you work with a lot of companies in the industry as well. I mean, from the paradigm side, are you seeing that to be a really relevant topic as well? I am. I feel that quality is really becoming the foundation of many market research projects these days. Historically, I think when the quality was across the board, not a concern, it became all about price. And then I do think we drove the price so low and so competitive that we had to start focusing in on quality again. So we're going back on the quality train, really focusing in on making sure that quality is the foundation of the projects. And of course, still trying to keep price competitive, but I do think it's coming back around to quality being a primary focus for clients. Yeah. And, and I think it does seem that there's also a tolerance for a little bit of a higher price. I mean, not completely a complete acceptance, but if you talk about the trade-off of quality to a little bit of a higher price, it feels like those conversations are at least they're, they're being discussed, uh, maybe not necessarily always accepted, but it's fair to bring up and discuss that option. 
Seema, I think that's interesting. And it's, it's something to unpack is the idea that if you're able to have the conversation on what quality means, you're able to have a continuing conversation about what are the expectations really about price, field time, what that looks like for your overall research objective, and then what are the impacts that that can have along the way. But a lot of that comes with, do you have the ability to have that conversation or do a bullet point in an RFP that says, we need N equals 1000 as fast as we can for as cheap as we can. And one of the things that's resonated with our clients is having that conversation and really defining what quality is. And, and to Burke, we kind of define quality. It's something we, we, we readdress often to make sure that we are meeting kind of the needs of what we as a leader in the research space feel that we should put quality out there and what our clients are defining quality as. And so one of the great perspectives that we have is we don't own a panel. We purchase our data collection through our strategic partners. I'm curious to know, do we have different, different definitions of what quality is for this data collection space? It's interesting because I think when I think about quality, I think there's obviously the end output, the result of the data and what it represents, but it's also managing not just to the output, but managing into the inputs as well. So, you know, are we looking at length of questionnaire? Are we looking at better targeting? Are we looking at, you know, all the things that intuitively we know will yield better results, but sometimes still don't. So it's, it's mm-hmm. kind of, we're looking at things both on the input side, but also obviously checking on the output side as well. And I think getting the right respondents into the survey and having lots of layers uh, through that process before a person actually gets into the survey. And that really ties into a lot of the conversations that all three of us have had over the years, really about balancing client needs and respondent engagement. That's something that all three of us are definitely passionate about And I'm optimistic, I'm cautiously optimistic that we're finally getting to a point where we can start to focus in on respondent engagement because the impact of improving respondent engagement is starting to showcase itself in the higher quality complaints. Absolutely. Um, And we're seeing the same shift. I think there's been, especially over the past year, year and a half, this idea that traditional quantitative Um, surveys are being looked at almost as a qualitative endeavor for these respondents because we're, we're, we're taking 20 minutes, 30 minutes away from them. And these individuals, their time is valuable. So we need to be able to look at it in a different lens to know what those impacts are for different sampling approaches. Seema, to tie back, I think it's critical that we understand each of the each and every one of those steps to understanding what one decision has along the entire research process. And I, I kind of look at it as this, you're in a control room and you've got 50 different levers and three or four of these levers are, are significantly larger than the others, but every single one of these impacts that final data set in some way. And so it's up to the researcher to decide in what capacity can we move these levers to, re- to produce the highest quality output? And I think one of the challenges we have in our space is that we look at a lot of things in black and white. We get a lot of disruptive type or disruptor type kind of uh, articles being written that 
programmatic's the only way, or the traditional panel is dead. And, and none of that's really true. We live in a we live in a very gray space. But understanding what each of those individual impacts does to the data quality is critical in understanding and kind of supporting whatever your definition of quality is. Yeah, and I think it's interesting because to your point, to what we're saying here, quality is such a subjective term. You know, and, and, and even for one client, I would imagine, you know, we've seen that depending on the use case of that data collection project, right? If it's a quote unquote quick and dirty, I just need a quick read on something. Can you get in and out? Um, you know, the threshold for quality there might not be as great as if it's, you know, let's do a customer segmentation across, you know, the United States about trying to optimize, trying to identify which segment is the most optimal segments for a big brand to go after. You're right, because at the end of the day, we are representing a consumer base for our clients, and we need to understand what impact our choices make on either becoming closer to or further away from the truth of it's interesting as we think about the future and we think about technology have you guys been reading about or at least even tried at these alexa surveys i'd be curious what your perspective is on those and maybe it's not maybe it's not alexa it's just voice enabled surveys well as you know i presented on the future <laughs> research and Alexa surveys at SampleCon a couple I, of years ago. Yes, I do recall <laughs> that, Katie. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so obviously this is something that I think is very innovative and fascinating. And I do think that there is a place for personal assistant surveys in the future. I think that we need to reshape some of the questionnaire designs if we want to make them Alexa or similar device compatible. But I do think that this is this is cool because it is the future. And it's something that I find that our industry is actually adapting to perhaps faster than we did some of the other transitions, such as trying to get surveys onto mobile devices. I think that we're getting onto personal assistant devices faster than we adapted to mobile, which is something that I find really exciting. Well, we, we haven't dabbled much in that, but just like any other kind of new and flashy idea in the space, I think it's it's important to look at it with kind of a, a full perspective on which lens you're uh, kind of approaching it with. So I think it adds a tremendous amount of value if you can frame the questionnaire right, frame the questions, and understand what you can get out of it. Because obviously with a lot of these devices lies big data behind it. So I don't see it as a replacement for a lot of the research endeavors we're, we're currently engaging, but I do see it as an incredibly valuable tool to add value as a complement to some of this first-party research or that color to, to paint a better picture for our clients. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I actually have to confess, my Alexa does not listen to me at all. Like, I am constantly repeating myself. So <laughs> I, I need to figure that out first. <laughs> I think that's that's a that's a problem everybody has. There's a love hate relationship in my house. <laughs> me, my wife, and Alexa. I know. <laughs> how valuable she can be. I need Alexa, not my wife. <laughs> so, how do you guys keep up on the industry? What are the what are the go to resources, or like how do you know what's happening? Okay, 
It's the idea of being able to learn everything we can about new topics, new products, new features. Yep. And then evaluating what impact that potentially has on what we know the current space gives us. And so it's, a, it's, it's learning kind of the full picture about what that lever does. And so we continuously engage uh, new providers, new technologies in research on research. We're constantly doing R&D in the space to understand how these can potentially impact us uh, long-term, whether positive or negative. Um, we, we owe it to ourselves and to the clients to be as educated as we can. So we're actually in the midst of another pretty significant round of research um, with new providers and some of the new technologies that are offered in the space to understand what differences those can make and whether or not some of the philosophies we've had that we, we've stood strong for for years, has that gap narrowed? Has it stayed the same? Is there still a price point discrepancy? across it. And so the best thing we can do as researchers is really to understand each aspect and, and make an informed decision. I totally agree with that. Uh, isn't it nice as researchers, we actually do our own research. <laughs> I love it. I'm actually interested, Katie, on, on your perspective on this, because once again, you guys have to double dip. Not, you have to sell appease clients, appease end clients, third-party research companies like Burke, but you also manage an asset that you need to keep fulfilled. So how does that differ for you guys compared to what we're trying to do in this space? So for me, it's all about having a lot of conversations. It's talking to every single player in the industry, just across the board, client side, supplier side, just continuing those conversations and never stopping the conversation because that helps keep you know the pulse and seeing what other companies are doing, seeing what end clients are focusing on, what priorities are. And then on top of that, I'm very active on LinkedIn. I like to keep tabs on everyone via LinkedIn. I read a lot of articles that people post on there. And then I, I love just some of the other industry publications. I'm always reading Quark's publications and um, I do the Research Business Daily Report. I watch those videos, just trying to stay as involved in the conversation as possible so that I can keep up to date with what's happening and not let something pass by me. And very much, I think it's based on this notion of being curious, never, never assuming you're kind of at the end state because given the flux or change in our industry, we have to be vigilant about change and how it impacts the industry. But I, I think that's fundamentally kind of like a personality thing. Like, how do you stay curious? What, and if you have that, I think you're, you pretty much are going to be up to speed as to what's going on. Yeah. And, and there's, there's something to this idea of you will get left behind if you don't mm -hmm. progress uh, with the industry. And, and we don't want to stay above the curve. We kind of want to stay right with the curve so that it, if it, if it hooks back, we're with it, but we're not, we're not hitching the wagon to something that has potential to fail. And we've seen that in the industry with several different endeavors. And I think Burke takes that mentality kind of as a whole, whether it's from our, our data collection department, um, um, the data scientists and analysts, or even the Burke Institute, which is a, an education wing that we, we train professionals and clients and other researchers for that matter, our competitors. Um, on this idea that 
we're always progressing. The industry is always progressing. And how do we always evaluate the best way to meet our clients' needs? So, let, so let's switch gears. Uh, millennials, they are always a hot topic, uh, not just in our industry, but across the board. Um, what do you guys think of the stereotypes about millennials? You guys, both of you are millennials, I think on different, in, in different age segments, but you guys both fall into the definition of millennials. Is that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay. I'm top end. You're top end. That's okay. Hey, listen, you're, you're in the segment. We got to put people in buckets. I'm in the bucket. <laughs> um, what do you guys think of the stereotypes? Is it, you know, you, you are constantly being generalized as, as a generation, which I think most generations um, have been, but, you know, now that this, this generation's... Um, such a large segment of our population, we continue to hear more and more about how um, there's, there's different stereotypes as it relates to millennials. What do you guys think? I think the parallels that we just had around data quality are uncanny for this as well. I think there's the idea of progress or get left behind um, in terms of this. And so the notion in some of these stereotypes that millennials have, whether it's be lazy, they don't work hard. I, I think it's just factually inaccurate. It's different is what it is. And it's understanding what motivates individuals. It's understanding what those individuals are, are trying to get out of not only their work, but their life, their personal life, and, and how that all intertwines. Um, and it's, it's up to us and it's up to, as an elder millennial, I guess, um, <laughs> and, and with the generation above us to, to really understand and, and how that impacts the day-to-day and what our objectives are as, as a company and as a department. I agree with that. Katie, what do you, what's your perspective on this? Yeah, I agree with what Brad was saying, where a lot of the stereotypes are just that stereotypes, right? And if you take a deep dive in with any stereotype, you'll find that it's not black and white, just as Brad alluded to earlier. A lot of people view research as black and white, but that's not the case. It's gray. And I think it's the same when you talk about millennials. Sure, there are some millennials that do fit the stereotype, but there's a very large percentage of millennials that do not. Seema, I'm curious on your perspective. As somebody who's sitting outside, just outside of the generation, Mm -hmm. and as an entrepreneur and business owner, how have you seen that shift? And what have you done to um, create a culture that encourages this generation to to contribute at its highest level? It has been a journey. It's not, it's, it's definitely what you guys both said is really trying to understand the mindset more than anything. I grew up in an industry or in a culture where it was a lot of command and control. You, you had to put the time in to move to the next level. You know, it was expected to work, to work many, many hours to, kind of secure your position. So a lot of the traditional stuff that you read about and we all know about in, in large corporate culture. As an entrepreneur, you know, when when we hire millennials in the beginning, I have to say it was a mind shift. It was really trying to think through what motivates, what drives people, how do you balance the business objectives to the individual objectives? And to the point, you never stop. You never stop exploring and thinking about it. The one thing I have a really a lot of respect for is it seems like this generation really can balance multiple 
goals. Like they know life is really important and work plays into life. So it seems. And so it's not that they don't want to work hard. Of course they want to work hard, but they also want to have a life. And I respect that. I really think as people have families, we talk about work-life balance. Well, you know what? Millennials don't wait for families. They're like, no, I want work-life balance. I want to be able to enjoy my time. And I also want to be able to work really hard and, and, and enjoy my work as well. So that's a long-winded answer. It's, it's definitely been something that's top of, it stays top of mind because I think to what you said, if, if you don't adapt, you're going to get left behind. With that, Brad, Katie, any last thoughts you want to share on the podcast? It's been a pleasure having you guys here and just chit-chatting. And I know I get to work with Katie every day, but it's nice to have a three-way conversation and just exchange ideas. Well, first of all, I want to say thank you for having me on. Um, I think what is nice about this is that this is truly an extension of conversations we're having off mic on what's really happening in the space. And obviously there's some business objectives at play and um, people are in this to make money and that drives a, a lot of the decisions that our industry has given to, to buyers. And having deeper and more thoughtful, empathetic conversations around what the impact is on the respondents and, and how does that affect the data quality I know personally, and from our departmental standpoint, um, I keep saying department, we have our dedicated sampling department um, at VERC, so it kind of funnels into that bucket. Um, it's significantly impactful that we understand all aspects of this. So I do want to say thank you for, for having me on and allowing us to continue these conversations. It's a pleasure. And, and, and I think what I really like about this is, like I started off, you guys are leaders in our industry and the work and the optimism and the continued persistence to understand the implications of our industry and, and also shepherding the change as we navigate through it is really, really important. And I hope these conversations at least play a small part in that. Yeah, this is definitely a very important. A lot of the topics we covered today are very important conversations to have and to continue to have and to not stop having. I think that's critical is we cannot get complacent on any of these topics. We have to continuously evolve and continue to strategize about the best ways to handle a variety of elements in our industry. And that's what's going to help the market research industry continue to grow and succeed as an entity. I totally agree with you. With that, thanks so much for joining. And I look forward to having you guys back on soon. Absolutely. Thanks, Thank Take you. care. Thank you for tuning in to Data Guru's podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.dataguruspodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. exclusively. That's www.dataguruspodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.